Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beer and a Movie. Before we get started with this episode, I would like to remind you to check us out on patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast for bonus episodes weekly. Let's get to the show. Welcome to Beer in a Movie, a podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of three that come to you every week. My name is Joe Hilliard, along with Dave Gurney and Carlos Cooper. And we are here to talk about a couple of movies and drink a couple of beers. We'll go beer, movie, beer, and then repeat. You'll you'll figure it out as we go. I'm really looking forward to this beer. It's perfectly paired with our film tonight. Uh, My glass is dirty AF. Oh. Uh, So we are drinking this beer from Crux Fermentation Project. It is the PCT Porter. It is 5.5% alcohol by volume, 30 IBUs. Comes in a nice, very well-packaged 12-ounce can. Uh, It says, a day-in and day-out porter. Come sundown, we love to put our feet up with a beer in hand. And so do the specific Crush Trail hikers that take a break from their 2,600-mile trek. At our tasting room, we brewed this highly drinkable porter with rich roasted aromas and notes of dark chocolate for just such occasions. With lasting smoothness and a sweet finish, this porter is the ideal end to a long, satisfying journey. I don't think that I would want a porter after having just hiked 2,600 miles. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. And it's also interesting that porter is not the beer that we go to the most on the show. On the darker beers, we're typically having a delicious stout. Yeah, this is, I'm excited to drink this one. Cool. All right, let's get going. And to try a new brewery, Crux Fermentation Project. Um, so our movie today, I'll, I'll, I'll let me just jump in if you guys don't mind. Our first movie today is a movie that I think of the three of us I was pushing for the most. I was bothering you all about it uh, because I bought the hype. This is First Cow. It's the critical darling of the summer, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Must see, must see, must see. Uh, it's directed by Kelly Reichardt, who I got to be honest with you, I don't know a lot about her past work. Anybody seen some of her old, earlier? I did see Definitely. the one about the dog Definitely. with Michelle Williams. Yeah, Wendy and Lucy. I'm I'm a big saw fan. that one. In fact, I think I was. I'm going to correct you a little bit, Joan. I think I was the guy who first introduced this film title into the mix, but you were the one who championed it the most to get us to do it at this time. Right. But I'm a huge Kelly Reichard fan. In fact, I have used several of her films and classes over the years. Old Joy is probably the one that first broke her on the scene, although she did have one before that. And that one featured uh, musician Will Oldham in in an acting role, who Mm -hmm. who I, I love him both as an actor and a musician. And um, uh, the, the film uh, that she did most recently for this one, Certain Women, I've also used that in classes. Very, very interesting filmmaker from a lot of perspectives. Um, just being a female film, filmmaker kind of makes you stand out. But I'm um, also doing very, um, very low-key films that tend to focus on small moments in people well what some people would think of maybe as small moments in people's lives although i think this film has a little bit more drama to it than than a lot of hers so um i but i was excited that you were getting excited about it as well and i'm glad that we gave ourselves the the final nudge to to watch it uh just to give our listeners a little idea you know th- this is a film that's set in largely the past um around 1820 uh, we, we have a group of fur trappers coming into the Oregon Territory. They're bringing a cook along with them, a cookie, he's called. Um, and as he arrives at this new encampment, it's uh, Fort Till- was it Fort Tillicum? Till- uh, Tillicum, I think, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, th- this kind of outpost with a lot of fur trappers doing, doing their thing and kind of expanding the Western Territory. Um, he meets up with this other figure uh, in, in kind of a strange way on his way there and ends up essentially launching a little micro-business venture, um, tr- trying to make these tasty, um, they're, they're kind of like cakes. For goodness sakes, just look at those cakes. 
biscuits, but you know that uh, they can sell to the to the other trappers and and make some money. And it is, you know, again maybe seems like a really small premise and the title first cow comes from the fact that an essential ingredient in these little cakes that he's making is milk that they are getting from the first cow to exist in this Fort Tillicum encampment. Um, th- and that's, you know, kind of the ba- the basic idea here. Well, I mean, a couple of essential details. The first cow is owned by the clearly the wealthiest guy in the area. And in order to get the milk, they're going in the middle of the night and basically milking the cow that sits unguarded in a pasture. Mm-hmm. Um, then that wealthy figure comes to taste these cakes or biscuits that he's heard so much about and uh, commissions him to make a more elaborate cake for a visiting uh Seaman, well, I can't remember the the, the guy, a captain. <laughs> I'm yes. I, I, I'm too mature to laugh at such a simple joke. I'm not. Um, <laughs> but, uh, this captain is coming in who has tasted English, you know, t- high tea, and will you help me make a high tea to impress this man? And then through a ser- series of circumstances, the jig is up, and now they are being pursued because you don't steal cattle and you don't steal a cow's milk. It turns out. And then um, the film meets up with tragic consequences that are all foreshadowed in the first scene, which is a girl walking her dog and finding the skeletons of our protagonists that we eventually hear their story. Now, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, four-star reviews across the board. Did this live up to the hype? Okay, I I think this is another stellar knockout by Kelly Reichert. I I think um, doing what she does bringing to the screen these incredibly um, human stories of people of, of people like us, right? Of, of people struggling, people just trying to find their way in the world. And in a very specific time period here, one that she's played with in other films, Meek's Cutoff is another one I hadn't mentioned uh, earlier, um, also with Michelle Williams from uh, Wendy and Lucy. But, um, you know, really focusing on these two guys, uh, Cookie, as played by John Magaro, and uh, King Lou, uh, portrayed by Orion Lee. And I think, you know, their friendship uh, that that sort of comes out of a strange circumstance. I mean, I might as well go like he he meets King Lou in the woods when King Lou is sort of on the run from this other group of, of Russian trappers who he had joined up with. Uh, because there was kind of a, a disagreement amongst their group that ended with him killing one of them. Um, now he was being threatened, and there, you know, there's there's reasons to to believe that what he did was maybe justified. But for whatever case, you know, these two guys come together. Um, these kind of outsiders, they're they're on the fringes of it uh, of of this encampment, but they're trying to find their way in. They're trying to make their way, and yes, they're using less than totally upstanding means to do that by stealing this milk but especially when you see chief factor um this you know big wig in the town uh who is the the owner right played by toby jones you know it seems somewhat justified right he he's he's brought a cow there so that he can can have milk for his tea you know that <laughs> that's his his Got way that of level thinking. of wealth yeah, that you know, like th- this is something he wants to do, and he's more than happy to use Cookie and his talents to impress his guest, right? By ordering the clafouti, which is funny because I just recently, like separate from this, learned what a clafouti was, and so I was so glad that that knowledge came in handy as I was <laughs> watching this film. Never expected I was going to need to know what a clafouti was for a film, and uh, anyway, so I, I mean, I just thought great, great performances, great understated dialogue everything was pitch perfect i love the setting i love those shacks that they had constructed that seemed very i don't know if they were period accurate i i don't know the 1820s that well but it seemed very plausible and it was a film it was one of those films where almost from the first certainly i, I like the opening with the uh, alia shawkat character um who, who isn't really named kind of going through the woods and finding the skeletons but once we get into the cow coming in on the raft and we're just surrounded by the woods and the the sort of lush uh dampness of the oregon territory there was something very comforting and beautiful about it it was one of those films that i just wanted to live in for a little while so across the board i i think it deserves all the praise it's getting well, it did the uh, 
It did the classic indie highbrow thing that these movies do where the first shot is a static shot that goes on for a very long time. And in mm-hmm. this case, it was the ship, and it was like, okay, so this is one of those. I don't know. <laughs> it's just it's it's just such it's just such a like redundant visual trope at this point that like oh it's an indie movie it's gonna start slow with these really long static shots and like you know kind of wide shot I, don't, I I just I get it like huh um. But I, just, I I didn't really have a problem with that as much as I just thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, there were some parts of this movie that I just couldn't see. Like because it was too dark. It was so dark at times. Carlos, you are one hundred percent correct. It's one of my biggest problems with the film. Basically, anytime something at night is happening, I couldn't see it. And correct. I and I had just listened to. An episode of How Did This Get Made where they uh, talked about the movie Swordfish. And June Diane Raphael was talking about how dark it was and like that while she was watching, it was like, oh, that's an interesting choice that they would do that. But that her brightness on her laptop was almost all the way down. And so having (laughs) just heard that and like having that in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, shit, maybe my brightness is down. It was all the way up. And I I kept it ramped up and I still couldn't see shit when it was nighttime. And, you know, I was watching it on a laptop. It's not meant to be seen on a laptop. Like, you know, it's meant to be seen in a theater or at least on, like, a TV or whatever. Um, uh, But other than that, I thought it was a... I thought it was a fine film. I didn't, like, love it necessarily. But I didn't dislike it either. Okay. Uh, There were... I mean, definitely, like... I agree with what you said about, like, kind of, I guess, wanting to live in the film because it is... I mean, the world building is they have they excelled at in this, like you said, with all of the 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 huts and things, and the all the wardrobes, the um, all the costuming and everything um, was really great. All of that kind of stuff, the kind of uh, I want to say darkness, but I know the bleakness of that particular part of the country and mm-hmm. if it's not like the month and a half two months during summer that um it's kind of sunny it's like pretty bleak and damp and depressing um so all those things i like i you know don't put a leah shock hat on the poster we got a tax collector situation here where there's somebody billed as being in the film that's like barely in the film <laughs> uh didn't love that um but i what's the poster i didn't even notice that i think I, her I name guess I... is on the poster oh, okay. as, i think she's like third build or something like that if i'm not mistaken um or maybe it was like on the internet it was like the two main protagonists and then a leah shock hat um but I had no idea that uh, this woman had made so many movies. This is my first time hearing about her, as a matter of fact. Um, And I will say that even though I wasn't doing somersaults and jumping through hoops over this film, uh, (laughs) it was enough to make me interested in her previous work. Yeah, I, you know, as you say, David, great performances, great understated dialogue. Uh, you know, uh, you guys know I'm a sucker of the how it's made. I mean, the how it's made of that time period when the West was still trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. Y- you can see that an economy is being formed. I enjoy the little touches of the different coins and currency because they hadn't settled on, you know, what the, I guess, the currency was going to be. And the, the other thing they didn't I really... Have Bitcoin en- yet. Say it again, Carlos, sorry. I said they didn't have Bitcoin yet. <laughs> right. The unspoken multiculturalism of the West. That I really enjoyed that one of the leads was of Chinese descent. And we didn't even ask any questions because in that area, as I understand history, when people were there to find gold, find minerals and hunt beaver, anyone could do it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. it's open for we are open for business in the West. Mm-hmm. And that's the you know, that that multiculturalism that just didn't seem to be an issue sowed the seeds if as i understand history for tolerance on in california 
and and or in Oregon, you know, the West. I love the cinematography. I love the pace of the film. A pace I don't think a lot of film goers are going to enjoy. I watched it with my daughter, who's trying really hard to be a cinephile, and she did not like the pace. In fact, the first bit of real business doesn't occur until an hour in, with an hour left. Yeah, that's you know. But I didn't. I didn't mind it. I hated, hated, hated the three-four aspect ratio. <laughs> on, okay. On a laptop, Carlos, it may not have been as distracting, but on my big widescreen television, it was those black sides are just distracting. I understand. I noticed well, it. I don't even think I do understand the um, the the reasoning for it because film wasn't a, like they he wouldn't they weren't trying to duplicate the aspect ratio of early film. It was just. I thought it might be a budget decision, but I'm sure it was shot digitally, so I don't. I didn't understand it at all. No, it's not definitely not a budget decision. Yeah, it was an artistic decision, one that I'm not entirely sure the meaning or the what it was trying to do with that decision. But yeah, I kind of lean toward you, Carlos. I liked it. I did not love it. It did not live up to the hype ultimately, because for me, ultimately, the story, while being simple is just too simple now it's it's a delicious six ounce filet but i was you know with all that hype i was expecting a porterhouse thank you interesting okay, yeah i mean Got him. i you know i i, I guess I, I think i was at a little bit of an advantage coming in having seen reichert's other films as i said as I was introing the the film or helping intro the film, I was, you know, as I was watching it, I was actually thinking, wow, she's kind of, there's more action here than there's ever been in her films. Like the, there's, <laughs> oh there's my. more, there's more of a clear, uh, you are know, you talking about the ac- are you talking about the action sequences, the chases and whatnot, or are you talking about I'm like the, the certainly the- that, but, but also the clarity of purpose that there, okay. that, you know, from the very beginning, you, well, very close to the beginning, you establish that these are two guys coming into this. Well, one guy coming into this frontier area, another guy who's been spending some time there, but trying to find a way in and you know that they're going to be, okay, what is it that what's they're going to, what's going to be there in there and they find it and it's a business venture and it kind of builds now it doesn't build very large but it builds and it turns into a thing and they start getting attention for it but then that attention kind of has this um you know unintended consequence this kind of back yeah exactly and and so then there is this you know real distinct um you know, downfall that they experience. I mean, as we've already alluded to, you know, well, they were bound, but they were bound to, and not just for the purposes of storytelling, just the community's too small where you getting milk. Right. Well, and cookie even says it at one point too. Like he has, this guy has a refined palate. He'll start to notice. Yeah. Eventually he'll pick up on it being his cow's milk. Well, also just the idea of how to make baked goods. It's yeah. kind of a required ingredient. Right. Well, although, yes, no, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I don't, but they also seemed all at various points to, to make it clear that their intention wasn't to stay there and build some sort of stable venture. It was to make enough money so that they could move on to San Francisco and really launch something. Right. Cookie talks about wanting right. to have a bakery or a, some sort of inn in San Francisco and King Lou kind of talks that up. So there seems to be this vision for if we're able to make this little nest egg here, we can use that to get ourselves uh, a place to start in this bigger city. This, you know, this more bustling city that's that's on the rise, and uh, or it wasn't a city at that point, but you know what I mean, an encampment that that is more likely to rise. So, you know, I I, I see what you're saying. I mean, I I understand, but um, but I don't know. It just it really really worked for me, and and as her other films have, because I really appreciate those films that try something more modest, and in doing so really let me spend time with usually a smaller set of characters and and really kind of understand this snapshot in these people's lives right which you know for cookie and king lou means it's very close to the end of their lives but this moment where there's this potential there's this real optimism on their part that like maybe they can make something of themselves i mean this is an era of history that 
I'm not typically fascinated by the Western in the way that a lot of people are because the the reliance. I mean, we t- we talked Tombstone a few weeks ago, and I, I you know, I, I was ha- I'm happy to see them occasionally, and it's a but the idea of these like gunfighters and gunslingers. From what I understand, it's a very romanticized vision of the West that doesn't really reflect what it was like to be out on the frontier. And so to see a film like this, which I feel like gives me a much better insight into what it must have been like to have just been kind of foraging around and trying to figure out, like, how am I going to, you know, like, I know there's opportunity here. How can I make this into a thing? And kind of finding something and, and creating a little spark, but then having that spark get snuffed out so quickly, it, it which is how most sparks go, right? I mean, most people don't become raging successes. Most people don't end up in San Francisco with a bakery. Most people don't. This is the common story. I don't know. I, I really love that. Yeah, but you also, she handcuffs herself with the device of us understanding that these two characters are going to die. Because of that opening, yeah, we know they're not going to get to San Francisco. We know that they're probably going to get caught in their scheme. Because why else would these two people be killed right next to one another? They're, they're good, not great. I definitely recommend that everyone see it. But it doesn't have the oomph of what I would imagine an Oscar bait film is going to have to be in serious contention at the end of the year, which is a whole other conversation. Cause what the hell is Oscar season going to be like this year when we haven't had any movies, right? Invisible yeah. man nominated for the Oscar, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> nominated I, for best picture. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember you that, cause I think that was one of the things that you shared Joe, where, you know, there was an article about this may be the greatest film of 2020 and you know we get awards and stuff. I, I think it would be far fetched. I could see it getting independent spirit awards, but this is something that is it is too modest of scale for it to hit with a large enough audience, even within the Academy voting audience, to really get awards for its uh, you know its actors or its behind the scenes folk. So yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I can, if I wasn't even processing it through the lens of Oscar bait or Oscar season. I didn't see any of this hype that you guys are talking about. The only thing that I have heard about this movie was just y'all talking about its existence and what we should do it for the show. <laughs> Other than that, it totally flew under my radar. So if I had known that it was being critically acclaimed and praised and lauded, et cetera, et cetera, I, as I was watching it, would have immediately ruled it out for any kind of Oscar anything because there's not nearly enough yelling in it to be <laughs> in Oscar contention. Right, no emotional breakdowns. It's yeah, no, it it was definitely Well, it's in, it's interesting Carlos that you and I had the same kind of overall reaction to the film, me with the high expectations that I had and you it sounds like with very little at all. I enjoy going into movies that I fall in love with with no expectations. Yeah, I was, but, I was actually just having this conversation with somebody um Oh, yeah, I was talking to my friend Jenna and her boyfriend John about Tax Collector. and About which one, sorry? About Tax Collector. Uh-huh. And we were talking about the trailer situation and, you know, Shia being portrayed as the protagonist when he's not actually in. Just trailers, I don't know, I have a very love-hate relationship with trailers and with... Ha- the, I say trailers mainly because that's the most common way that you find out about something pre-seeing a movie, but obviously like reading about, I try not to read anything about movies before I see them as well. I I just don't really want to know much, you know, like if I can go see a movie without knowing almost anything, I mean, obviously you have to know something about it. Cause like what would have gotten you there if you didn't literally know anything about it at all. And no one's blindfolding you and putting you in a theater or putting you in front of the TV or whatever. Uh, but other than that, other than just like basic premise or cast or director or whatever, I just don't want to know that much. I feel like it can kind of like, if I had gone into this with high expectations, like Joe did, I probably would have come down much more negative on it than I did just because of that like expectancy violation that would have occurred in that situation um yeah and maybe you know maybe that's where my aster hate comes from too because (laughs) you know those get so hyped and mother fucker daniel Uh, he's gonna make a move shut down your messenger man i can't just i can't just shut it off 
Even oh, if I have can. Facebook closed, it will still make a noise. Like my computer oh, will still wow. give me a notification about it. Uh, <laughs> if I have my web browser open, which I would have to in order to be communicating with you two fine gentlemen. Uh, I, uh, uh, let me know when you want to go. No, hey, go ahead. Car- Okay, you ready? Hey, Carlos, whenever we... I'm sure we're going to review Ari Oster's next film. If if you love it, you'll tell us, right? Yeah, 100%. There, I, think the only, I think the only director that I'm really committed to hating no matter what is James Cameron. James Cameron. I knew where you were going. Yeah, I can't, th- <laughs> I can't think of anyone else that I would steadfastly, in, in the face of all rationality and reason, still decry. Uh I, I and you know it's it's like we've said before and really going down a rabbit hole but uh my problem with Astor's films is that I think they could be I think they could be great and I want them to be really good and I just mm-hmm. they just uh, they miss the mark for me but they get so close it's there he's edging me you know he's even, <laughs> uh, so uh some people happens. that kind of thing. Some people are not. <laughs> I think all three of us would recommend that everyone listening see the film. You're probably not going to be able to escape it in in a abbreviated level, an abbreviated number of films that are going to have year-end award type of stuff. But um, I think, uh, Carlos, I'm more on the li- in line with you than I know. But I am. But anytime the two of you guys recommend a director, and David, it sounds like you wholeheartedly are here, I'm going to go back and watch some more of her films. I think you should. I, I would hope that at the very least it would give you a sense of an artist who has a certain kind of approach to narrative and a certain approach to characters and a certain approach to setting that will be consistent enough that you you might see something bigger there than just oh this one film that didn't quite do it for me you know what I, I guess that that's what i would say um yeah i mean i don't know it, i think it's it's interesting because i think for a lot of our listeners um you know, if if this is one that's like on your list and you're and you're feeling kind of questionable about, and you've heard what we've had to say, you may be able to say this is one that. And and I guess this is where I'm I'm differing with you. Like this may be one that some people could sit out. Um, I think a lot of our listeners have a sense of the kinds of uh, endurance tests that I can enjoy that other people don't because I just like sometimes films that I can, like I said, like I can just live in for a little while. I don't have to worry about. Oh, you know, like X, Y, Z plot points are going to be. I mean, this is a pretty simple film. Cow in the town. They're stealing the milk. They're making the. Th- you know, it's it's simple and it allows me to just kind of almost. It's almost a meditative thing. It's almost a you go into a certain state of viewing that if you can you can attain it and it's easier in the theater. I will admit than at home. Um, I think it's I think it's wonderful when it can happen. But uh, but if you're not somebody who likes that, I just don't think. That, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't throw this out there as one that people have to see in 2020 just to be up on what's going on in film. Though, as Joe rightly points out, there aren't a whole lot of <laughs> there aren't as many new releases. I shouldn't say a whole lot. Of, although we're about to see a bunch more coming coming uh, here in the the next few months. So I, I think I think there'll be more on people's plates than we may think uh, right now. True. In terms of what was in our glass during this discussion, what did you guys think of this Pacific uh, Crest Trail uh, porter? Um, I'm a little underwhelmed. There's not a lot of flavor in this glass. Uh, it drinks easy because of that, I suppose, mm-hmm. and be- because of the 5.5 ABV. But I don't think that I'm going to rush to buy this one again. Well, it'd be difficult for you to get it again, uh, so I don't think you'll have that problem. I, uh, I mean, I like it. It's not like I don't know. It's nothing crazy, but like if this were a porter that was like read readily on the shelf, if I was in the mood for such a style, I would say this is one that I I would feel pretty good about picking up but for a standard just straight ahead darker beer that's a little lighter in body lower abv um maybe they should start calling porters summer stouts because this is like in the stout family but is of a certain viscosity and abv that is more palatable in these hotter times of the year 
but right I, I i have no problems with it at all yeah i i, I think uh i'm i'm a fan not like in the sense that I'm going to trade to get this beer again or something like that. But I think it was a very solid, It, you know, I think it, it was a bunch of episodes back at this point, I think that we talked about this idea of like those beers that just kind of nail a certain style. For me, as a standard sort of example of a porter, I think this works really well. They describe it as a beer that's meant to like be drank at the end of a long day, uh, hiking on a trail and, you know, maybe setting up camp and you pull out a couple of these. Even though I'm not a hiker, I can imagine that being a situation that having a couple 5.5 uh, PCT porters w would be okay. So I, I, I thought it was a, a pretty good representative of the style, and I would certainly be excited to try stuff from Crux Fermentation Project uh, some more in the future. But like Joe said, I, I don't know that I'll be seeking this one in particular again, but I think it indicates to me that they know what they're doing. For sure. Not going to argue. Now, you're not going to want to go anywhere because what do three creatives do when they have to match a movie with a movie called First Cow? They pick a 1969 Iranian film. And don't let that dissuade you from sticking around because you're going to want to hear this conversation. <laughs> when we return. <laughs> didn't see it coming that time i no, cannot you, well usually i can hear you push the button when you push the button i try to cut in there but uh, i let you have it today i hear him cracking a beer week. too he's he, he's my right into it glass is dry af so what are we drinking this half so uh this half uh as as you tease we we have a, a nice uh pairing i think and in a sense at least style wise uh, this is a beer from Icarus Brewing, and they are located in Lakewood, New Jersey, notable uh -oh. because this is our first brewery from New Jersey that we happen to be uh, sampling on the podcast. Carlos, cue the Bon Jovi. We've only got eight states left before Whoa, we dominate America. Wow, that's amazing you had that ready to go. <laughs> I thought that was JBJ. Wow, okay. Um, <laughs> so th this is Icarus Brewing. Uh, they have a beer here called Coronal Mass Ejection, which probably doesn't make sense, at least you know name-wise, with the, the movie we're going to be doing. But because this is a, well, actually, it's a triple India Pale Ale. Oh, boy. Lactose. Uh, added to it. We would tend to put this into that category that we have had on the program before of the milkshake IPA. So the, the cow tie in here with both our first film, First Cow, and now our second film, simply titled The Cow. Uh, and as, as I said in the first half, it's a 1969 Ar or Iranian film mm -hmm. directed by, forgive me in advance, Dariush Merjui. Yeah, that's you know we are trying. Right? I'm going. I'm I, going phonetically. Aryish Merjui, I think, is is a great way to go. I, I think that's as close as I'm going to get to. Now, David, you trumped my idea of doing Top Secret as the companion film because of the notable cow sequence in the film, but uh -huh. I think that you hit it out of the park with your idea Ooh. here. I don't, I did not, I have never heard of this film. Carlos, I, do you, are you in the same camp? No, I can't say that I'm uh, particularly familiar. Right, which which is exactly, I did a little research, I did a lot of research on this film. That's exactly what it was, I, I, an Iranian new wave, but David, you're the academic, you're the film teacher 
you brought this one to the table. Is this one that you've used in class or had you seen it prior to now? No, I, I had not. But it was one that I was aware of because it is this celebrated film that many people point to as really one of the first films of what, what people would call the Iranian New Wave uh, of cinema, which, you know, again, the 60s and 70s were, were a high time for filmmakers in Europe, Australia, um, you know, the, Japan, all over the world kind of taking new approaches to their filmmaking. So this idea of new waves, right? I think most people are, or mo the most familiar one is probably the French new wave, but it was happening all over the world. And so Iran, it was happening too. And, you know, th this film uh, made by Merjoui is uh, one that has been much celebrated, but I had never given myself the, myself the opportunity to watch. I knew it was a, an influential film. I knew it had been celebrated. It had some success um, internationally in festivals. It was also controversial in its own country because, again, this was the er the Shah era of Iran, you know, pre-theocracy, where, but the government still kind of was very tightly controlling the arts. This was, as I understand, funded by the government, but then they felt that the messages contained in the film were cast too much of a negative light on the country, or at least parts of the country, to, to really be uh, put out that way. So, so it's one that I knew about for academic reasons to, to some extent, but that I had never watched and yet knew it existed and it was very easy to find. This is one that for our listeners, I will say, at least my experience watching this on YouTube, where it's freely available right now, looked great. I mean, I was I was a little bit worried when I, I picked the film and I knew it was on YouTube, I hadn't watched it. And I was like, ooh, is this gonna be one of those really low quality kind of uh, versions of the film? But I thought it looked fantastic, even blown up on my television. I will uh, second that. I also thought it looked great. Um, I didn't, I guess I didn't really think about it because I knew it was a little older. So I, I guess I kind of anticipated some graininess, um, mm -hmm. but I didn't get any of it. It was crystal clear, um, yeah. super sharp. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, you referenced earlier the French New Wave, um, which, you know, most people, I guess the kind of marquee name out of that cinematic movement was Jean-Luc Godard. Which uh, we have not talked about on the show. <clears throat> yeah, we haven't, actually. Um, and Breathless being probably his most notable or most, like, widely known work. Um, deal in the, which is in black and white. Um, this movie is as well. Uh, and the, the contrast between like the inside and outside scenes, the night and the day, uh, crystal clear, uh, super well shot. I, I really enjoyed the cinematography. I really liked the score that went with it. Um, this, this movie, uh, we had talked about in the first half, David, you mentioned the pacing of first cow. I thought the cow was paced very well. Um, it had a nice well, we have we haven't really we haven't really talked about what the film is about. Oh yeah, sorry, I got off. I got off track. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's um, an Iranian, uh, I'm assuming rural village mm -hmm. that has one cow in it, and and uh, a thing I intend I, I mentioned in the first half, but certainly is predicated when we watch the cow is that the when you have a cow that can give milk. And ultimately, maybe when the cow dies, give beef. You you are wealthy. You you you. It, it is a luxury, and it is um, something to be guarded, and it is something to be revered. Um, now we go buy milk at the supermarket. We just take for granted. I can go get a gallon of milk anytime that I want to. But here, these villagers, if there is milk to be had, must get it from the cow. And Hassan, the owner of the cow, knows this and loves his cow. But in uh, Iran at the time, there is a, I guess, a warring faction. It's not really told about, and I assume that maybe if you were Iranian, you would understand it a little bit better than I do. But there is a faction of, of, of folks, outsiders, that are coming in and slaughtering sheep and other stories that the villagers tell. And Hassan goes away, 
and this tribe comes in, spoiler alert, and kills the cow. And the bulk of the film is the village trying to cover up the death of the cow, uh, concocting a, a wild story. Uh, the village is all in on the story, except for a couple of characters that are just assholes. <laughs> or maybe, you know, the, the, conscious that, the conscience that the, the village needs. And when Hassan finds out that his cow has been killed, the cow that he clearly loves and cares for, he goes a little nuts. And that's the movie. And like you said, David, it is available on YouTube. We'll post it on all of our social media, where to find it, how if you should watch it. I guess the question is, should people go out and see this movie? I was I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, I I'm a fan of uh, a lot of you know that era, the '60s and '70s, with a lot of these filmmakers uh, globally trying things, and it was happening in Hollywood too, right? Like pushing boundaries, trying to tell stories in different ways. Here, I think taking a cue from an even earlier uh, film movement, uh, Italian neorealism, focusing on the lives of the downtrodden, right? These people, as you said, Joe, in this remote rural village with very little to their to their names and like you say where where the ownership of a cow would distinguish one right would, would sort of give one an elevated place in that community and, and it did right hassan is is almost known as much for his cow as for anything else in fact i mean there, there's almost a comic element to how much he loves this cow that you know he treats yeah. his wife like you know i think he just refers to her as woman and and you know like orders her around which is you know kind of i think probably commentary on gender politics as they existed and and maybe still do to a certain extent in iranian culture but um but that he sort of you know he sleeps in the barn with the cow because he wants to make sure it's protected and so when he leaves that this thing is so valuable and so um, important in his life and in the life of the community that it, it, it takes on this, you know, huge, this, this grander importance, like the bicycle in a movie like Bicycle Thieves, right? The, the Italian, Italian neorealist film. Yeah, um, that, that, that bicycle was a real asset that is, we are going to suffer if we'd lose it. Right, right. And so, you know, where that, that conflict in that film really drives this man to, you know, an intense sort of search for it and, and a maddening search for it. It's similar here, although he doesn't end up going on a search for it, even though the lie being told to him is that the cow has wandered off or, or ran away, right? Which is, is funny to think of a cow running uh, the, like a dairy cow. But, uh, you know, no, nonetheless, that's what the people in the town tell him and they weren't able to catch it. And, that you know, um, he, but he doesn't go look for it, right? I think, you know, the twist here and what sort of pushes this in a slightly different direction than your typical neorealist film is that instead of just focusing on the abject poverty and the uh, the importance that this, what may seem somewhat trivial to, you know, a modern audience in, in the West, what you know, what they were focused on, he instead essentially becomes the cow i mean in his mind right he he wants to take the place of the cow and so he goes into the barn or the you know the the cow shed or whatever he has and starts behaving as the cow eating the cow's food you know that the the grass that's been put there for him and uh and really just rejecting any attempt for anybody to talk any sense into him which, which was really interesting it was it was an interesting move to make um with, with the story and and I don't know I thought I, I felt like it really revealed some things about how this town operated this small community and what it meant when something like this unfolded that way right I mean everybody gets concerned it becomes this like the town's problem you know one of the things I like best about Bong Joon Ho's films mm -hmm. are just the peak it, maybe not Snowpiercer but the peak into Korean culture or back in episode 93 when we did Eve Aleu for that um, mm. we are a one fest and we got to see this glimpse into the life of Delhi I'm not going to go to Iran in my lifetime I can't imagine but to see I assume a peak into what rural iran looked like at that time was my favorite part of the film the and how human it all is mm -hmm. the, the little corner where you get your tea and mm -hmm. you go, you gossip about the village and the um protection of hassan's 
you know, spinning this lie because this is one of this is one of us in the village, and we want to protect his, you know, reaction to this horrible, horrible news. I, I loved this movie. I'm so glad that it came into my life. I don't know how it would have any other way. And you know, like like we said a couple of times, the the film is free on YouTube, and I think that any cineista should definitely put this into their portfolio. I, I am. I thought this movie was beautifully shot, beautifully edited. The pacing is fantastic. There is real suspense. How are they gonna? You, you feel for Hassan. When the cow dies, and I've got one more essential question before we wrap it up. But uh, Carlos, what do you think? <clears throat> well, like I said, I mean, I I thought that all of the elements that are crucial to filmmaking are incredibly well executed in this movie. Um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, he, he, you guys already talked about it. This guy like loses his mind and thinks he's a cow. Like that's a crazy premise. <laughs> like that's mm-hmm. so, that's so wild, and like such an interesting take on like you know, uh, or just such an interesting representation of something like uh, you know something like dealing with grief and um, you know something that everybody can relate to that way. And about this community trying to protect this guy and um, you know all of these kinds of things. I this movie I watched without my wife uh, Kylie, and I think that we'll have to rewatch it because. I think that she would enjoy this movie. I mean, I think everybody would enjoy this movie. And another thing, this is only the second Iranian film that I've ever seen. And wow, my what's the first one? Well, I was gonna say my perspective is probably um, skewed because I'm obviously not seeing a ton of Ar- Iranian cinema. And what I am seeing is because it's either recommended by somebody I trust, like in this situation, or because it's getting hyped in some way or another. But A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, did either one of y'all see that movie? Love it. Yeah, and and yes, that that, that is a great film um, of, of fairly recent. That was only like 2014, 2015. 2014, yeah. yeah. It was like yeah, produced by Elijah like- Wood and... Uh, like the like the movie the one i love which we discussed a few episodes ago yeah. that movie's been on my list since it came out and i've never seen it it's good also yeah. also it's in really black good. and white yes yeah well which is which is even another thing that made me like think about it it's like man i've, t- I've seen two iranian films they're both in black and white uh, <laughs> uh in, in, a, in a similar kind of stylistic way too not just like in black because there's i mean i think people might kind of oversimplify the choice of being in black and white but there there are different approaches you can take to it um different ways of executing a black and white film i mean that director though um that did a girl who walks home alone at night um anna lily Amanpour. yes i yeah. i did see um her other film, I'm here for. Uh, The Bad Batch, which I guess I probably, seen that probably wouldn't constitute as an Iranian film, uh, though it is by an Iranian filmmaker. Uh, that movie was also really good. Uh, Jason Momoa, Keanu Reeves, Jim Carrey. Um, God, what was that girl? Suki Waterhouse, I think, was the star. The main <clears> character's <throat> name it was like introducing Suki Waterhouse, who was in Assassination Nation, I believe. Um, do, do we do that on the show? Or did I just no. see that on my own? No. Crazy movie. You should see the movie. Anyway, um, so I, I, you know, I guess I'll have to uh, try to seek out some more of these like high points. Um, yeah, because no, they, you know, so Iranian far, so cinema. Good. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. And like I said, this is one that I hadn't seen, but I had known was influential in there for the very early days of the Iranian Iranian new wave. Um, but. You know, I think for me, the introduction to Iranian cinema was more through Abbas Kiarostami, who had pretty great success internationally in the 90s and 2000s, even the 80s. I think he he was he was making films. He died not too long ago, just a few years ago. But um, a couple a couple of titles, David. um, Yeah, sure. I mean, he's well known for. Probably uh, Taste of Cherry was w- one of the first I saw. It's a Criterion collection. Um, okay. you know, we, could pair, we could pair a beer with that easy. Yeah, <laughs> right, true, absolutely. True. Um, but I think even more recently, and I, it was in the 2010s, he did a movie with Juliette Binoche. I think it was called uh, Certified Copy. 
and there there was another one or two. So he you know he had some success and even made some. I think that one might have been shot at least partially in France. Um, so he's one of the big guys uh, out of or one one of the big names out of Iranian cinema. But th- there's a number of others uh, who who are worth checking out uh, from I mean, you know you my tr- limited experience. You did try to hype up. Uh- Taste of Cherry by citing that it's a Criterion Collection film, but Criterion yeah. Collection is putting Marriage Story into their catalog. So yeah, really, you're they're, they're a, you're you're a struck, so you, they're getting some cage in there. Really, so you are yeah, a lone are you're a lone voice against Marriage Story in this room, Carlos. It's not a good <laughs> okay, so, uh, so I, I said I wanted to mention one more thing. Actually, a couple more things. That opening sequence where the it's like this weird high art. Uh, opening credits where the cow it's like this uh, black and white negative image mm-hmm. uh, that's worth seeing mm-hmm. um, sure. but my question is did they kill a cow for this film like they buried to drag a, that into a, the a well. dead yeah. that cow was dead I think when they dragged it and I googled it and I googled it and I googled it I couldn't find any kind of well, PETA protest to did, the notion didn't um didn't Yodorowsky in Holy Mountain? Wasn't there something? Uh, there was a scene where he's like walking through a bunch of dead. God, I can't remember the animal. I think so. And, and you know, and a lot of people will point to. I'm, I'm sure that people were concerned about it before, but Apocalypse Now has the yeah. famous sequence uh, of the cow slaughter. Right. That, that is often pointed to as the one where I think, at least in Hollywood filmmaking, it became no longer tenable to be able to do that kind of animal cruelty um or or, you know filming an animal's death that way uh that you know would no longer stand and they started having you know aspca people on set and and, you know monitoring the situation so as they can say that it was done humanely i don't i don't don't think that was going on in 1969 in iran in iran (laughs) yeah and i don't think they had aspca on the set of vampire's kiss um, <laughs> I've never seen yeah, it in the Apocalypse Now. So yeah. <laughs> and also, I, I want to point out that the film was smuggled out of Iran to screen at Venice Film Festival, mm-hmm. so th- and it won a couple of prizes, so that when it came back to Iran, it had a little bit of juice before, yeah. you know... <laughs> folks got got that's, mad this that's is a good way to combat film. the backlash Be exactly like, hey, man we won awards i don't know yeah. don't be yeah. a sourpuss this is a film worth seeing the I, cow yeah, yeah I, agree. Yeah. I agree you can see it on youtube right now yeah, yeah. and I, I think that's always exciting i mean like when we did that we are one world uh, film festival there um you know it was exciting in part because well this is something that you know anybody with an internet internet connection can watch right now you don't have to pay for a rental you don't have to do anything special you, you don't have to you don't have to travel to a big city right and and you know this one and to the quality of uh of the streaming version that's there on youtube i think is excellent so yeah highly recommended definitely um, check it out check it out yeah if you haven't had contact with iranian film this this could be a great place to start it's free Would somebody cracking open coronal mass ejection be a great place to start with their new jersey beer journey uh, that's a big question. I thought you were gonna say with like maybe an IPA journey or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Well, Having this, well, this is the first step into New Jersey. That's so true. I'm, that, that's Although, where I'm going. I, I can't. What are are the? What are some notable? Do you know of any notable breweries from New Jersey to compare it to? Because I don't. I this might be not just on the sh- for the show, but my actual first New Jersey beer. You know, I can't say. For certain, but I can't think off the top of my head of any New Jersey breweries that I've had before. Yeah, and we're we're, we're way down here in South Texas, so this is not a state that gets down to us. Uh, I'm I'm gonna Google it real quick. I'm gonna well, you guys vamp. I'm gonna find out the um, well. The so name. For, for a triple IPA with lactose added, um, that that's that's an interesting order because I've certainly had milkshake IPAs. Usually, there's some fruit in there to to kind of you know bring in that fruity quality with the milkshakiness. Um, th- this one goes a little bit more straightforward with the sort of IPA or in this case triple IPA base, but I think it works pretty well. I mean, there is a sweetness to it, but you would expect that with the lactose and uh, and the triple, right? I mean, the, the kind of malt bill that you have to go with for that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's over the top. The mouthfeel is there to kind of back it up. It's got that half that you want with a milkshake. 
Um, I'm really impressed. I'm, I, you know, for something that, w- did we say it was 10 and a half? 10.2. Was it, was that the, 10.2, okay. Still, you know, north of 10. This is really it's drinkable. I'm, I'm enjoying this quite a bit. Yeah, it's not the milkshake IPAs we've had on the show where you're bowled over by the milky strawberryness of it or strawberry anything like fro-yo. that. Call say yeah. it, say it, ingenious brewing strawberry froyo. You had a that's, you had a target in mind. That's called the softball, Carlos. I knew that you'd <laughs> want to talk about the ingenious, so I just uh, I set you up for it. The triple, I love the lactose. I love. It's got a flavor to it that I've still got half a beer left that I'm going to figure out exactly what it is. They're not using a lot of adjuncts at all. It's mostly just, you know, a a very liberal hop bill to it, which is, I guess, you know, where where they're getting the triple out of it. There's a lot of flavor in this glass, and I'm enjoying it very, very much. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that it's... um teetering on the edge of overly malty um, yeah you're or, right or i shouldn't but, say i shouldn't see i shouldn't say overly malty because that would mean that there's like a level of malt that's already somewhat unpleasant um it but i i mean it's good i i, I like it a lot um but it has a malt bill that yeah. is noticeable yeah but it hasn't gotten to a point where it's too much yet. Correct. Which, right. Well, I think it's it's bringing in the the citrusy kind of dank re- resinous notes from the hops that I think help to mesh with that, and it doesn't feel like just sweet um, for the sake of being sweet. I think yeah. it kind of all it it has like a juicy quality also you know like i said a hefty quality i don't know it's just i'm i'm i also think as that i sip it, on it uh, sorry to interrupt you but i also think that no, if no. it's gonna be sweet i need some body to it too i don't want a yeah. really thin sweet beer that's kind of weird uh, right although i well never mind we'll get to that in the bonus. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that in the bonus episode uh but yeah overall pretty solid beer yeah. Maybe you, maybe not an introduction into anything. This is a this is like an advanced okay, level fair kind of beer. Fair you, know, you don't just yeah. get into triple milkshake IPAs out of nowhere. Right. You know, you build. No, up that's to a it. good point. I'd be excited to try some other stuff from Icarus and and see what their uh, you know kind of entry level offerings are because this is definitely uh, more of the you know big go big or go home kind of beer uh, <laughs> so to speak from the catalog though as i was looking a little bit here as we were talking carlos you may be interested there is a vinyl brewing uh in in new jersey that maybe we're gonna have to try to uh find something Gotta from here it. in the future i hate that and they're definitely like the website has got it's it's full-on you know record playing on the on the front page that that could be fun yeah i'm looking at the Give 16 that's I'm looking at the 16 best breweries in New Jersey 2019 uh-huh. and I'm not I'm not recognizing large names. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a pretty small scene there and again, you know, you're right next to New York with things like other half and well Brooklyn Able and twin, you know. Right? Sure. Yeah, that that uh, th- there there's enough stuff going on right oh. next door to it that it's probably hard to uh, Kings County? Is that a New York brewery? Yeah, yep. Yep. That's a good yeah. one. I like this. I, I like what we've had from them. Well, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this episode for two reasons. Number one, we got to do a highly critically successful new release, but I was introduced to that uh, the cow, and I and I and David, I'm so glad you br- you brought that to the table. It might have been better than Top Secret. Well, I still hope I still hope we'll find a home. And the other thing is, I feel like Top Secret will be a great one to do maybe with some other pairing. But I, I too, was excited that you guys were, were game once I pushed it to uh, to watch this because it gave me a good excuse to watch a film that's been on my to watch list for a long time. Are you talking about our future Zucker Brothers episode with Airplane, Top Secret and Naked Gun? Perhaps. OK, we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll put that on the back burner. I also am very glad to have been introduced to, a, and a f- 
an entire world of cinema that I might not, because clearly I saw A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and didn't think, hmm, I need to investigate Iranian cinema more, uh, which I, maybe I should have, but now I know that there's stuff there that I haven't seen that I need to see. But tell us what you think. We want to hear from you, the listeners. Um, let us know if you saw First Cow, if you've seen The Cow. Have you had beers from any of these breweries? You can find us on all of your favorite social media platforms, Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com slash Beer and a Movie TX. Beer and a Movie Podcast.com is our home base. We are currently renovating that and it's getting better and better every day you can find a link to listen to all of our past episodes there that's over a hundred episodes absolutely for free and if you want to uh kind of follow along a little extra with us maybe some uh bonus content you can find us on patreon uh patreon.com slash beer in the movie podcast every single week there is a bonus episode there that follows up the main episode that you get for free every week it's only five dollars a month to get that that bonus episode every week so that means for five dollars a month you get four bonus episodes every week uh or every month sorry um but if you don't want to donate a whole five dollars just a dollar is fine you can do that too you just won't get the bonus episodes but you can feel like you did something good and you're contributing to the pod um but that's that on that i think that's all of our pluggables um another great episode gents and until next time history isn't here yet it's coming but maybe this time we can take it on our own terms Moo.